Hey, let's pray together. Let's ask God to meet us. Lord, you know I, I need your help this morning. I'm just really aware that if, if anything is helpfully communicated out of your word this morning, it will be a gift from you. And I ask you for that gift today. What an amazing passage of scripture I get to talk about. And Lord, would you just open it up to me more and to each of us and strengthen us, answer questions, blow us away with your mercy, help us to hate sin, love the cross, and be strengthened in our zeal for you, I pray, through Genesis 3 this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're going through a series called The Story of God, uh, which Dave mentioned earlier. And the first week, we talked about eternity past, and we saw that God has always been, and that he's always been full of joy in beholding his glory, in the fellowship of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that out of the, the overflow of this joy, this passion in beholding his perfections, he decided to, to go public with his glory and to, to create a universe which would be a, a display of his glory so that he could share with created beings like us, he could share with us his joy in beholding his glory. And so God created, and last week we talked about creation, dug into Genesis chapters 1 and 2, and what we saw was that in creation, God has given us just an amazing display of his glory, his perfections. He creates this massive universe. He creates a perfect, beautiful earth. And in the earth, on the earth, this garden of Eden and, and Adam and Eve provides for all their needs and gives them the, the joy of knowing him, beholding him, loving him, having each other, life, everything provided for them. And so the universe and the world, Adam and Eve, their relationship, their hearts, everything was perfect. Everything was beautiful. Everything was completely, 100% good. Genesis 1, Genesis 2. So what's happened to the world? From the perfection of Genesis 1 and 2, how did we get to where we are today? Right? Where people are rebelling against God, instead of having their hearts filled with God, and where relationships are fragmented and torn instead of, of uh, harmonious. And you know, you read the paper, you listen to the news, and the world is full of genocide, and it's full of disease, and it's full of poverty, and it's full of pain. So how do we get from the perfection of Genesis 1 and 2 to the tragedy, the absolute heartbreak and horror of what's happening in the world today? How do we get here? The answer is in Genesis chapter 3. Let's go ahead and turn there. I'd like you all to have a Bible you could look on with. So if you don't have one, raise your hand and we'll pass one out to you. Just raise your hand real high. Don't be bashful. We'd like you all to be able to look along as we work our way through Genesis 3. Genesis 3 is on page 2. It should be easy. Okay? In the Bibles we're passing out. But now before we walk through Genesis 3, I want to ask the question, um, what had Adam and Eve experienced up to this point? So just try to put yourself in their shoes, try to feel what they have felt, and this will set the stage then for getting uh, the, the sense of what happens in Genesis chapter 3. So put yourself in Adam and Eve's shoes. Okay, first of all, 
You've been created. Okay? Now, think about what this would have meant. At one moment, you did not exist. Then, just like that, there you are. An adult, conscious, whoa! Okay? Created. With life given to you and consciousness and capacities for love and for thinking and for purposeful action. And he gave you a body, which is amazing in its complexity. And he, he gave you your wife, Eve, and gave Eve, Adam, uh, your husband. And he's given you provision for all of your needs. And as you look to him, your heart is filled with joy in beholding him and knowing him and worshiping him. You've been created. At one moment, you weren't. And then, just like that, you are. With all of that. You feeling that? Then, you knew God personally. Okay, we talked about this last week. God displayed who he was in creation. So, you knew God who is so immense that he created. Remember the Milky Way? 100,000 light years wide. I don't know if you can kick that up there or not. But 100,000 light years wide, which was six, each light year is 6 trillion miles. And that there's over 50 million galaxies like the Milky Way. Um, in the universe, so you know God who's so immense that he could speak a word and that universe exists like that. You know him, okay? You've seen his goodness in creating in such a way that your needs are met. Everything he's created is blessing you and benefiting you. Everything he's, he's done is to meet your needs and to satisfy you. You've seen his wisdom in just like we talked last week, how your body works with amazing complexity and flawlessly. You've seen his nearness. Okay, this God who's so big that he creates a universe with 50 million of these galaxies, he's talked with you and listened to you and seen your needs and provided for you and walked with you. So you've known God personally, massive, immense, wise, good, near, and then merciful. What did you do to earn life and conscience, consciousness and a wife and a husband and all the good in a relationship with him forever? What did you do to earn that, Adam, Eve? Nothing. It was just a free gift of the overflow of God's mercy and grace. Here, have life. Be created. Enjoy me forever. So you had been created and you knew God personally. And then third, crucial for understanding Genesis 3, you knew what God called you to do. What am I supposed to do, God? And what God had said was, trust me. Trust me. Trust me to keep providing for you. Trust me to keep satisfying you. Trust me to keep guiding you. I'm your creator. You're created. Trust me. You can see this in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Here's where God says that in different words. But that's what he means. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But... Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Okay, what's this tree of the knowledge of good and evil? 
Well, that phrase, the knowledge of good and evil, is used throughout the Old Testament to describe the capacity to make independent decisions. Okay? It's where you decide on your own what's good and evil. You decide for yourself, thank you, what's good or evil. So what God is telling them here, he says, don't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, don't decide on your own what's good, what's evil. That's what God's saying. Don't decide on your own. Listen, I am your creator. I've made all this. I have flawless knowledge, perfect wisdom. I know what's good and evil for you. You don't. Can you see what I've made? Adam Eve, can you see what I've made? Trust me. Don't decide on your own what's good or what's evil. Depend upon me to guide you. Depend upon my wisdom to lead you. Trust me. If you don't, if you decide on your own what's good or evil, you'll die and lose everything. Trust me. Trust me to lead you into what's good. Trust me to keep providing for you. Trust me. So Adam and Eve had been created. They'd known God. They heard God call them to trust him, not decide on their own what's good and evil. So what should Adam and Eve have done? Trusted him. Are you kidding me? (laughs) They have life. They have bodies, they have minds, they have hearts, they have each other, they have provision. They look, look to God and they're filled with joy to him. Are you kidding me? Trust him, Adam and Eve. Trust him. Look at what you have. Trust him. What happens? Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. I think that's probably because Satan was speaking through it. It's my best guess. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? Eve responds, verses 2 and 3. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but... God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And we're going to come back to that. But keep going in verses 4 and 5 for now. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, don't miss what's just happened here. The serpent is saying, God is lying. You won't die. He lied. And God is not good. There's a good that he could give you. Being like him. Calling the shots yourself. Being independent of him. That he's withholding from you. He's a little nervous you may be like him. Little threatens. Okay? So he's withholding some good. So he's saying God's lying about the death thing and God's not good. He's withholding some good from you. So what the serpent's saying is go ahead and eat. You won't die. You'll be making your own choices. You'll be calling the shots. You'll be wise. You'll be independent. You'll be in control. You'll be like God. 
And so what happened? Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, because it's going to open their eyes, and she'll be like God, she'll be making her own decisions for a change. And when she saw that it was a delight to the eyes, because wouldn't it be awesome to be independent and in charge? And when she saw that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, you don't look so wise when you're following somebody else's guidance all the time. I'd like to be wise, making decisions myself. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now, don't miss Adam's role here. He was with her. He had been with her. There's no place where Adam enters the stage. He'd been there, the silent partner, listening, not disagreeing, agreeing with this whole conversation. He's also to blame. He's there. And so they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They decided on their own. What would be good for them? What would be evil for them? Can I just want us to sit back, kind of stand back, and and try to get a feel? Why would they do that? Why would Adam and Eve decide this? And, And I kind of want to lay it out this way. Let's say that over on this side we've got God and all they've experienced in God. Okay, and over here we'll talk about the serpent in a second. So, so over here you've got God and. And God is a being, like I said, who spoke, and instantly there were 50 million galaxies in existence. Let there be. Boom. There it was. Okay? God had shown, let's just pretend you're Adam and Eve, he'd shown you perfect goodness and flawless love and care. 100% faithful, pure goodness and love and care all the time. So all you've ever received from God is love, goodness, care, satisfaction, provision. And God says, I'm your creator. You are created. I have perfect wisdom. I've made you. I know it's best. Trust me. Trust me. You don't know it's best. If you turn from me, if you decide on your own what's good, what's evil, you're going to lose everything. Trust me. So, so here's God over here. Okay, you've got all that experience with God. And here's the serpent over here. Now, what does the serpent have going for him? Well, we read in verse 1 what he said. He was totally wrong about what God had said. Verse 1. Okay, that should raise some suspicions in Adam and Eve immediately, right? Hmm. He was flat out wrong about what God had said. Eve knew that, right? She corrected him. All right? And then the serpent says that God the God in whom you have seen only flawless goodness and perfect love. He says, by the way, God's lying. God's lying? I've never seen God lie. He gave me life. He gave me this body. He's given me Eve. He's given me everything I need. I'm totally satisfied in his presence. No, God's lying. Hmm. And, And God's not good. God's not good. He's always been good. Everything I've received from him has been good. He's perfectly good. Satan says, 
you go ahead and decide for yourself what's good and evil. You make the call yourself. Eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You're going to be like God, independent, in control. You won't die. So here's God, all they'd experienced in God. Here's the serpent over there, all kinds of suspicions. There is no reason to walk with the serpent and be in the, try to be independent of God. There's, there's no reason. Do you see that? There's just no reason. There's no reason. There's no reason. It makes, you say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Exactly. It makes absolutely no sense for Adam and Eve to turn their backs on God and to say, okay, sounds good to me. This makes sense. So why would they do it? Why would they do it? Now, we've already seen a couple of hints in this whole idea that the serpent said, you'll be like God, knowing good from evil, that is calling the shots on your own. That seemed to be attractive to, to Eve and to Adam. He just was sitting there, standing there quietly. But look at verses 2 and 3. I think we see even more clearly what's going on in their hearts here. Verses 2 and 3. He may have missed this. In verses 2 and 3, she corrects Satan, but she also misquotes God in two crucial ways. Can we kick? Oh, there it is. Okay. All right. God had said, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. That's what God had said. She misquotes God. Adam doesn't disagree. He's on board. She, in two ways, she says, you shall not eat of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, which misses the whole point why they shouldn't eat it. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, knowledge of good and evil, it's the tree which eating of it would mean making your own decision about what's right and wrong. That's the tree they shouldn't have eaten of. She says, God won't even let us eat of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. And then she misquotes again saying, neither shall you touch it. God said nothing about touching it. So here's what I think is going on. Try this on for size and see if this works. If if you could maybe hear the tone of her voice, it'd be something like this. God said we couldn't eat the tree that's right in the midst of the garden. We can't even touch it. She's whining. (laughs) Wah, wah, wah. Okay? Now, when your kids whine like that, what's going on? When we whine like that, what's going on? It just boils down to one thing. She doesn't like being told what to do. She doesn't like the fact that God made something off limits. That's what's going on here. Do you feel that? We can't eat the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and we can't even touch it. Not what he said. Wah, wah, wah. And so what's happening here, and don't laugh too much because... This is me, and this is you, every day, this morning, at church, okay? She doesn't like being told what to do. She's bothered that God made something off limits. She wants to make the calls on her own. She wants to be independent. She wants to be in control. Thank you. I mean, think of this. God has given them everything. Everything. Life. Bodies. Each other. Provided every need that they have. Given them the joy of beholding him. God's given them everything. But they're not happy. Because there's one thing they don't have. 
control, independence, making their own decisions. So like I said, before we get too hard on them, this is what we've all done. Okay, this is what we've all done. Paul says this in Romans chapter 1. God displayed who he was through creation. He's shown all of us who he is through creation. None of us have the excuse of saying we don't know. We've seen his goodness. We've seen his mercy. We've seen his faithfulness. We've seen his provision. We've seen his love. It's there displayed before our eyes to see. So why have we all turned away from God? Because we've wanted to be in control. We want to call the shots. We don't like having God tell us what we can do and can't do. We want to decide what we can do and can't do. And when you boil all the different kinds of things we do in sin, from gossip to pornography to to slander to pride to not forgiving other people to greed, when you boil all that down, it all comes down to this thing in each of our hearts where we, in our hearts, don't want to bend the knee to our Creator. We don't want to. We just don't want to. That's what it comes down to. So can you see, can you feel how ludicrous that is? So we're creatures. God's creator. That's a big difference. We're we're creatures. He's made us. We were created to be dependent upon God for our provision, for our guidance, for our wisdom, for everything. We were created to be dependent on God, just like a tree is created to be dependent upon soil, and a fish is created to be dependent upon water. We were created to be dependent on God. So for us to say, I'm going to call the shots, thank you. I want to be independent of you. It's like a tree saying, well, I want to be independent of soil. Or a fish saying, I'm going to be independent of water. Or like an astronaut in outer space saying, Enough of this oxygen suit. I want to be independent of this thing. It just makes no sense. You are a created being. He's the creator. You're created. You're created to depend upon him for guidance, for wisdom, for what's good, for what's evil. That's why Adam and Eve did this. That's why we all have turned away from God. There's no good Reason. It's not a problem of evidence. They had all the evidence they needed many times over. It's because we've all wanted to be in control. And so what results from this? Verses 7 through 24. I'll just give six brief bullet points and let you read the verses on your own for the sake of time. First of all, their eyes are opened and instead of, hey, we're like God, they're naked. Now that word naked, different word than in chapter 2, verse 25. This word more has the nuance of being vulnerable, destitute, needy. Up to that point, Adam and Eve had been connected to the one who was providing for their every need. Need provision. Need provision. Need provision. God sees, God provides. God sees, God provides. Every day, every moment of every day, provision, provision, provision. They've just turned their back on God. And now they find themselves in the universe, cut off from their provider. Naked, destitute, poverty, needy. Second, they hid from God. Verses 8 to 13, especially verse 8. 
Think of the heartbreak of this. They've been created by God to share in heart fellowship with him and have their hearts satisfied in the joy of beholding him, worshiping him, walking with him. But now they've turned their backs on him. They've rebelled against him, face his wrath, and so they hide. Third, God cursed Satan. This is verse 14 and 15. I'm going to come back to verse 15 in a moment, but verse 14, from now on, snakes... This is what's going on here. From now on, snakes on the dust of the ground are a picture of where Satan and his plans and purposes are going to end up. Eating the dust. That's where it's going. Fourth, God punishes Eve. Oh, this is amazing. I mean, if you read Genesis 1, 2, and then you read verse 3, it's just absolutely heartbreaking. God punishes Eve. God created Eve. God loved Eve. Provided for Eve. And for Adam. But Adam and Eve had profaned God's glory. I mean, if you can just get a feel of the cosmic shaking that took place as Adam and Eve stand up in front of creation and say, God's a liar. He's not good. I'm eating. I'm going to get the good he's withholding from us. Creation would just fall in silence. <laughs> They'd profaned God's glory. God loved his glory, loves his glory. He created to display his glory. And to uphold the honor of his glory, he has to punish sin when his glory is profaned. And so he brings punishment upon Eve. So verse 16, from now on Eve, childbirth is going to be accompanied by pain, physical pain. And from now on, marriage is going to be full of stress and emotional pain because the, the woman is going to want to rebel against her role as respectful follower in the marriage and was going to want to try to be the leader. And the man is going to uh, rebel against his role as loving leader and is going to uh, oppress the woman in the context of marriage. And so there's going to be pain in childbirth, pain in marriage. Fifth, God punishes Adam, verses 17 through 19. From now on, Adam, you got to grow your own food. And the earth is going to bring up a lot of weeds. It's going to be hard. Scarcity. Labor. Punishment for Adam. And then sixth, God cast Adam and Eve out of the garden, away from the tree of life. Verses 22 through 24. Separated from God and they face death. Now if you can just get a feel for this. There's no way to state it with anywhere near the dimensions of the fall that's taken place between Genesis 1 and 2. And what Adam and Eve had. What our forefather and foremother had. What they had. What they had. And what's just happened. The fall has taken place. Genesis 1 and 2, they had everything provided for them. Everything provided for them. Genesis 3, naked, vulnerable, needy, alone. Out of the garden. Genesis 1 and 2, they constantly knew God's love and care. Genesis 3, punishment coming from God, hiding from God. Genesis 1 and 2, childbirth was going to be not painful. Marriage was going to be harmonious. Food is going to always be plentiful and provided. Genesis 3, childbirth is painful. Marriage is stressed. Food is scarce. And then Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve enjoy the presence of God. The heart-filling joy of beholding God, walking with God, worshiping God, and they would have life forever. And now in Genesis 3, 
they're cast out of the garden, out of God's presence, and they face death. Massive fall. Genesis 1 and 2, Genesis 3. Theologians call this the fall for that reason. Now, this is not the end of the story. I love what we read in Genesis 3, verse 21. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. What? They have just profaned your name? God's a liar! He's not good! I'm eating! Serpent, you and me, we're independent here. I'm eating. Silence falls over the cosmos with shock and horror as they've profaned God's name. God comes and says, let me make some clothes for you. You guys need clothes. You're on your own now. Let me make some clothes for you. Let me help you. Oh, there's something important. Don't miss this. Don't miss this about God. Mercy. Grace And there's an even more powerful picture of God's mercy and grace in verse 15. It's a little bit cryptic here, but let me share with you what I think is going on here. I'm not alone in this, but this is part of the curse that God brings upon the serpent. And look at what God says to the serpent. I will put enmity, discord, uh, conflict, Separation between you, serpent, and the woman. What does that mean? God's going to put enmity between the serpent and the woman. Well, think about it. The woman and Adam, obviously, and the serpent were in league together. They were in agreement together on this point. Eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Call the shots your own. You won't die. God's a liar. He's not good. You'll get to be like God independent. Eat. Adam and Eve, serpents, in agreement, in accord. So what would it mean then for God to put enmity between the serpent and the woman? That accord would be broken. Right? The agreement would stop. I think this is a powerful description of what God does whenever he saves us. He brings his power upon me, 1973, when I wanted to call the shots. At least I was independent. I was empty and miserable, but I was totally independent. Okay? And God simply changed my heart. He, he brought enmity between me and the serpents. He changed my heart, so I, what am I doing? And I saw God, I saw Jesus. He changed my heart, so no longer do I not want to bend the knee. <sighs> Could I bend my knee before you and be restored and be forgiven and know you? Could I? I would love to bend my knee before you, Jesus. But he changed my heart. He put enmity between the serpent and me. And that's what he's saying he will do. I will put enmity between you and the woman. I'm going to bring her back to trusting God. And for Adam too, I'll do that. Second, he says, I will put enmity between your offspring, the serpent's offspring, and her offspring, Eve's 
offspring. What's the serpent's offspring and Eve's offspring? I think the serpent's offspring is, well, it's been all of us. Because we've all been in league with the serpent. We've all declared our independence from God. We've all not wanted to bend the knee before Christ, the Savior, the Lord. We've all been connected with the serpent in that way. And then those who are Eve's offspring are those whose hearts God will change. So they love to bend the knee. They love to have God call the shots. Please take over. Call the shots from now on. Their hearts are changed. Okay. The reason I think that is because in chapter 4 you see the the offspring of, of the serpent in Cain and the offspring of Eve in Abel. You'll see that played out. We'll look at that next week. So there's going to be two different groups of people. We all were Satan, a serpent's offspring. And if, if you love Jesus, you're trusting him, he's changed your heart. So now you're part of Eve's offspring. And then finally, God will cause, I'm sorry, let me read the verse. He, someone from Eve's offspring, shall bruise your head, the serpent's head. And you, the serpent, shall bruise his heel. This is talking about Jesus. Okay? Someone born of Eve, Jesus, is going to bruise the serpent's head. That's a mortal wound. Crush the serpent's head. This is what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Jesus took upon himself the punishment deserved by those he would save. And he paid the debt in full. So you can be completely forgiven. You can have your heart be changed. He's bruised the serpent's head. But in the process, it's the cross, he's crucified. The serpent will bruise Jesus' heel, which compared to bruising the serpent's head is a relatively minor wound. So, yes, there's a fall that's taken place. Genesis 1 and 2, Genesis 3, this fall from grace, this fall from God's presence and provision. But God comes and he makes garments of of skin for Adam and Eve. And then he talks about how he's going to change people's hearts. And there will be a group of people who are bending the knee, who are not in accord with the serpent. And that the serpent's head's going to be crushed. Mercy will be given. Forgiveness will be given. Salvation will be given. People will be restored. And then when you look ahead to the book of Revelation, which I've been reading, reading lately, what's in heaven? The tree of life? Right? Paradise? So it's back to the future. Okay? It's coming. And total restoration is taking place because of what Jesus has done. Okay. Let me see if there's any questions at this point. I've got six bullet point real quick implications of what this means, but first let me just see what, what are some questions that maybe this has like percolated up in your mind. I always like to raise, let you raise questions because sometimes I'm not clear and sometimes you help me think of things too that I should have, should have said. So what, what questions? Just a quick question about Eve's um, whining. Obviously, uh, we were created with that sense of free will to either choose to trust God or, you know, the alternative. And in, the, in this case, there was no alternatives of sin at that point, right? Right. So was it at that point of mistrust that sin happened or at the point when she ate or is it irrelevant? That's a good question. So exactly at what point did, did she sin for the first time? 
I see evidences of sin in her whining. Um, I, I see that there's already been a, 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 a rebellion against God. But since the passage doesn't say this is where she sinned, I'll just I'll withhold a, a final declarative statement. So yeah, good question though. Somebody else? So I feel the weight of not just Eve and Adam of you know our own desire to be independent of God. But God created us. This is no mystery to him that it would unfold this way. So why didn't God create enmity between us and the serpent to begin with? Or even better yet, why was there a tree of you know, the knowledge of good and evil or the tree of life? I mean, why did he create those? If he knew that we would then use our independent desires to be you know, fulfilled on our own and be in control, that we would go ahead and eat of that tree. Well, that's a really good question. It's a million-dollar question. Um, let me just say two things, and that question is worthy of a lot longer answer. And uh, just I'll throw out two things to, to think about further. And that one is that, um, and I know you agree with both of these. Um, God purposefully allowed all of this to take place. That's what she said, and I want to agree with that and just reiterate that point. The fall was no surprise to God. He was not saying, oh my goodness, you know, what have we done? Trinity, you know, what, why didn't we see this, you know, coming? Uh, he purposefully allowed it. And it's important to use those words so that there, because there's a purpose, there's a purpose in it. And the purpose I've, I've tried to display these last two weeks um, is because there's going to be an even greater display of his glory because of what Jesus would do, right? I mean, Jesus is your creator, Jesus, who created 50 million galaxies, was born as a baby to take care of this problem. He, your creator, hung on a cross to take care of this problem. And so there's a display of God's glory that's unsurpassed um, because of what God purposefully allowed to take place. Does that mean Adam and Eve were just like, like automatons, like God made them do this? Not at all. They freely chose to do this. They are fully responsible and fully culpable for it. The Bible is very clear about that. So I'm not sure I've answered your question, but maybe just made it, have I made it worse? I hope not. But those are the, those are the two truths we've got to hold together. Let me put it that way. God's purposefulness and Adam and Eve's total responsibility in the process. For a sense of true glory, there has to be an option, right? Oh, yeah. So for God, I, I would say, if if there was no option, there was no you know, alternative. They would have been automatons, right? Robots, and that, that's no, there's no glory there. Exactly, yeah. There, there, there's no glory. So it's all about God being glorified in that. Excellent, good point, thank you. I love this. More. Striking a balance, of course, is my question, is... Um, you know, we look at how Eve was seduced by the enemy, but where was Adam? Why didn't he protect his wife? Why didn't he protect his wife? He was a wimp. <laughs> right? I mean, there's, there's a lot more we could talk about here about God's call for men to be loving leaders, protectors of their wives. And he was just, he was just a wimp. He's just like, yeah, God's a jerk, you know, let's eat. You know, right? I mean, he was just like, right? Yeah, he was silent. And I think there's sin and silence too. There's sin and silence too. Okay, uh, one more short one. If, uh, if Adam would have ate from the tree of eternal life right after he ate from the tree of good of the knowledge of good of, good and evil, 
he would still be alive today, right? Yeah. That's that's end of Genesis three, the last two verses. That's that's what God says. So that's why he'd be kicked out of the garden. And no more access to the tree of life. Okay, six bullet points. All right, rapid fire. If you have other questions, come and come and ask me afterwards, okay? Let me just, I mean, this is like food for thought. I'm just going to barely touch these, but six things I'd like us to walk away with. Understand what's wrong with the world, first of all. This is the problem. The problem is not the Democrats, okay, or the Republicans. Both have heart problems, all right? It's the fact that we have not wanted to bend the knee before our Creator. I mean, just, oh, if we could just get us, I mean, God's created this massive galaxy. Here's us little created beings. We're saying, no, right? I'm not going to bend my knee before you. Are, you. are you kidding me? You know, I mean, but you turn to porn, that's what you're doing. You gossip, that's what you're doing. You, you silent treatment towards your wife, that's what you're doing. Neglecting your kids, that's what you're doing. Greedy with your money, that's what you're doing. That's at the root of every sin. I don't want to bend the knee. That's the second point then too. Understand what's wrong with you and me. This is what's wrong with us. We, we've got something I can't overstate this. Seriously wrong with us. There's something wrong with us. We've all refused to bend the knee before God. We've all done this. There's something wrong with us that's horrifying when you think about it. Are you kidding me? Adam and Eve with this amazing God, they wouldn't bend the knee? Just like what I've done and what you've done. Third, There's good news, though. God's astonishing mercy offered in Jesus. God can change your heart. He can change your heart. He can take out the heart of not wanting to bend the knee and put in a heart of wanting to bend the knee. He can transfer you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. He can cause you to be born again, a new heart. I love to bend my knee before you. Could I please for the rest of my life worship you and follow you? Change me. And he will. And it's all through the cross. You can't earn this. You can't deserve this. You ask for it. You receive it. He gives it to you freely and you're changed. So fourth, I was going to ask the question, are you part of the serpent's offspring still? Or have your, has your heart been changed and now you're part of Eve's offspring? Are you bending the knee before Jesus? Not are you going to church. You can go to church every week and not bend the knee before Jesus, right? Not are you trying to be a good person. That's not the point. Are you bending the knee before Jesus? Are you clinging to Jesus? Are you loving to depend upon him for provision and guidance and everything? If not, if you're still maybe part of the serpent's offspring, ask God to change your heart through Jesus. He will change your heart. He will save you. Born again. New heart, new spirit. Fifth, live trusting Jesus, clinging to Jesus. Trust his death to forgive you. Trust his power to change you. Trust his love to provide for you. Trust his wisdom to guide you. Trust his presence to satisfy you. Cling to Jesus. Trust Jesus. And then finally, advance God's mission. This is what we're here for. There's the serpent's offspring, which we all were, 
And by God's grace, we're now Eve's offspring. We're called to go to the serpent's offspring and to love and to show Jesus and to speak of Jesus because God's power will come and will change them too. And, and they'll be brought into knowing him forever. Advance God's mission. That's why we're here. It's your purpose. So let's do it. Can stand together. I'll pray over us. It's a frightening thing, Father, to read what's true, what's been true of our hearts. But it's an exhilarating truth to see that you promised to put enmity between the serpent and Eve and Adam and anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for crushing the serpent's head. Thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your saving power that's unleashed through the cross so our hearts can be changed and we can have new hearts which love to bend the knee before you and trust you and rely upon you. So God, I pray that you would encourage, I pray that you'd strengthen, and I pray that you'd mobilize us for mission because of what we've seen today. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your word. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.